uh, in uh, one of Paul Washer's books on the gospel. And I just wanted, it kind of, it, it bridges a bit from this morning and into this evening. So Gary, why don't you uh, share that with us? We, uh, my girls and I have been going through this, these, there's a series of books on the gospel by Paul Washer. We've been going through them on Sunday afternoons and uh, a couple weeks ago we read talking about false conversions and we think about it in, in context of community and what we what we heard this morning and, and um, Mr. Law made a point about uh, social constructs and and I, I thought that this what, what he's saying what are the groups of people so he, he labels four kinds of examples of false converts and he says the second case involves an individual who attends a contemporary church service entertainment worship, cutting-edge media presentations, and short sermons, emphasizing life principles for the real world. The individual enjoys the services, develops interesting relationships with others, gains a sense of belonging. His felt needs are being met as never before, and his life has a sense of purpose. However, in such a setting... The gospel and Christ's radical call to costly discipleship rarely confront him. In turn, he demonstrates little passions for the knowledge of God or the application of Scripture to his daily life. Little separates his purpose, thoughts, and deeds from that of the secular culture that surrounds him. So has he been drawn to Christ or to a social group that affirms his worth, meets his felt needs? Have, these, have his affections been transformed so that he esteems the worth of Christ above all things? Or has he merely found a place and people that enhance his present life? It's challenging words for us to prayerfully consider. We'll, uh, we'll see a great parallel in our time this evening. Like I mentioned this morning, just in God's providence, uh, we're going through our distinctives, and uh, we also come to chapter 27 in the confession, uh, looking at the, uh, the, the truth of the communion of saints. Look at Ephesians 2.19 on the screen uh, with me. Uh, would you read it out loud? Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That actually uh, was uh, part of our passage this morning. As we look at this idea of the communion uh, of saints, um, this is a shorter chapter in the confession, yet uh, only has two paragraphs, but there's a lot packed in here. Uh, again, uh, looking at this morning, kind of taking some of those truths and, and hanging on to those as we look at this, but uh, look at paragraph one with me. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and faith, although they are not thereby one person with him, have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged 
to the performance of such duties, public and private, in an orderly way as to conduct to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Paragraph 2. Just encourage you, paragraph 2, you might have to kind of concentrate a little bit more. Um, I found in just reading through it a number of times this week, it's easy to get lost, so... Uh, Stick with me and see how this fits together. Saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in the performing of such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification, as also in relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, according to the rule of the gospel, though especially to be exercised by them in relation to wherein they stand, whether in families or churches, yet as God offers opportunity, is to be extended to all the household of faith, even all those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, their communion, one with another as saints, does not take away or infringe the title or propriety which each man has in his goods and possessions. Let's look back a little bit again at the truth that we saw on this morning that we are united with Christ. That is our identity. And as we have that identity being united with Christ, we see that being in Christ, we receive the blessings of Christ, that which he accomplished in the cross and all the benefits he provides to us. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. He says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Paul's tying that connection. If we receive the benefit of Christ's death, we also receive the benefit of his resurrection. That is our hope. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul continues that and says, where is our hope? It is in Christ's resurrection that we will one day be resurrected. Ephesians chapter 2, we saw this this morning, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, our identity is in Christ, and in Christ we have those blessings. We stand in the same place of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our identity follows that of Christ. In Romans 3.24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our hope is Christ and Christ alone, nothing of ourselves. But the confession is careful to state, um, uh, although they are not made there by one person with him. 
Again, sometimes we don't understand the historical context, but they were drawing a distinction of those who were saying, well, if we're united with Christ, then there becomes no longer anything to do with us that we're all fall into this kind of supernatural, pantheistic mentality of we are all in Christ. But that's not what scripture speaks of. We are in Christ as far as the blessings and position, though our individuality continues. Even like that in the body of Christ, we see a unity, but yet in the unity, there's a diversity. We do not lose the individual um, personhood that we have been given by God. It's interesting as we think about the blessings of being in Christ, I think it's good for us to ask the question, when we share the gospel, what do we preach? Do we preach Christ or the benefits? There are many who have come to Christ for the benefits, but not for Christ himself. Think of it this way, and I, it's funny you quoted Washer, uh, Paul Washer. I remember him saying, many people want heaven, they just don't want Jesus to be there. But the blessings can never be separated apart from Christ. That the blessings always have to be seen as embodied in Christ. But it's easy for us to say and to, and to preach a gospel that says, don't you want love? Don't you want joy? Don't you want peace? Well, yeah, we all want that. But we want it our way. In a human-centered way, we want those things, but we don't want this Jesus who is Lord. We must be careful how we preach these. Do we avoid preaching about the benefits of the gospel? No, but they are a side note to the prince, uh, principal figure of Christ himself. Sinclair Ferguson said this, Wherever the benefits of Christ are seen as abstractable, as uh, separated from Christ himself, there is a decreasing stress on his person and work in preaching and in the books that are published to feed that preaching. This is accompanied by an increased stress on our experience of salvation rather than on the grace, majesty, and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we need to take to uh, personally though, take in those words because much of our Christian culture is very focused upon the experience of salvation, but it has nothing to do with Christ himself. We want all the benefits, but okay, yeah, there's this Jesus out there. But what did Paul say? We preach Christ and him crucified. That is the crux of our message. If, if we do not want Christ himself and his lordship, then we are looking for benefits for just the benefit's sake. Instead of asking, how can I get these benefits? We need to ask, how do I get into Christ? And when I am in Christ, the blessings that flow. Again, please don't misunderstand me. I think it's the focus here that Ferguson is trying to encourage us. And even here with in the confession is that we don't preach the benefits over Christ himself, that our focus must always be upon Christ and loving him. And in loving him, here's the benefits. It's like a marriage relationship. 
We don't go into marriage thinking, I want this, I want this, I want this. But a benefit of that, of loving our spouse, is the receiving of love back. Again, which is it that we are pursuing, the benefits or Christ himself? But as we are united with Christ, as we saw this morning, and we're reminded this evening, we are united with others because of our relationship together in Christ. Again, that is not a, um, necessarily a horizontal uh, identification. The identification as brothers and sisters is because of Christ himself. But with that relationship, uh, we are bound, paragraph 2 says, to maintain a holy fellowship and communion. There is, pr- paragraph 1, we are ob- obliged to, to the performance of such duties, public and private. As the writer of Hebrews says in 10, 24, and 25, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. As members of God's household, we then have household duties to one another. We are saved individually between us and Christ, but we are not saved into a private self-centered salvation that we are saved into the body of Christ. And as a body member, then we have obligations to one another. Again, because of our unity in Christ, we are called to stir up one another with love and good works. We're called not to forsake assembling together. I was thinking this morning in our culture, especially a Western culture, more and more we see this mindset of, well, I don't need to go to church. And yet, people are dying across the world because of the threat of gathering as saints. How, how, how interesting of a contrast. Here in America, it's like, who cares about the body of Christ? And yet, in, a, in a, another country where they are persecuted they're saying no this is so important that i'm willing to risk my own life for it there's a disconnect here a disconnect of of understanding the beauty of which god saves us to it's not just to to unite with one or two other people but as god allows us to unite with the people that god has placed us around God has given us the spiritual blessings in Christ to then bless others. As God gives us spiritual gifts, it's not for ourselves. As 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Again, we go to... God saying, hey, give me this, give me this. But when he blesses us with something, it is not there for us to say, oh, I love this for myself. The spiritual gifts that we are given are to be used to bless one another. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, 
distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. That is the right and acceptable worship that is to be given to God. Paul writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you sow toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Notice the shepherd's heart of Paul. He says, you're loving one another, but press on and love one another even more. As he said to the Romans, um, not lagging in diligence to love one another. God gives us spiritual gifts for the blessings of others, but also God gives us physical blessings for the blessing of others to care for the needs around us. We see the example in the, in the book of Acts to uh, the, the church at Antioch, uh, also in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. It's interesting in, in our culture today, it's do good to everyone else and beat up one of those in the household of the faith. But we should love one another more Is Paul saying, ignore those outside the church? Absolutely not. But there is a a brotherly love that takes place that should take precedence. And as uh, in Acts 11, 29 and 30, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and and Saul. Sam Waldron Kind of in light of that verse, he says, According to one's ability, all believers ought to be interested and concerned participants. God entrusts us. And as we saw in 1 Peter 4, that we are considered stewards of that which God gives us. Not to hoard it, but to use it for the benefiting of the body of Christ. We've spoken of this already in our study through the book of Acts, but the call to care for one another is not a call for communism or communalism, for we see the the blessing of one's own possessions. And and the confession kind of states that at the end of paragraph 2. This does not take away or infringe the title or propriety which each man has in his goods and possessions. I was thinking about this this week. Think of the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. The Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not... I think I heard it earlier. Covet. What do those two things presuppose? Yeah. It's another person's property that I'm stealing. It's another person's property that I'm wanting, I'm desiring. So in that, there is already a a presuppositional truth that there is an individual property there and there's a property here. And that goes against the communistic idea that everyone owns everything. Should we have a heart set that whatever I have can be used to bless another? Yeah. But God entrusts it to us 
to then be a blessing to the body of Christ, whether it's with a spiritual gift or a physical gift. What a great picture it is as we care for one another and love one another. In tangible ways, in emotional ways, as we encourage each other with words, as we, as Scripture says, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. We do those things in community with one another. It is to be exercised by all of us, as paragraph 2 says, whether in our families and churches, as yet God offers opportunity to be extended to all the household of faith. Those, Paul says in, in, uh, in Timothy, those who do not care for their own households are worse than an infidel. But it's not just caring for our own household. It then stretches out to our church as God allows us and as we have the ability. Again, we bring it all back to why? Because our communion that we have in Christ. We are united with him. We have the blessings of spiritual gifts and the blessings that he gives us to receive those and then to bless others. I'm kind of thinking about the amazing work of Christ. I want to close with a a section from John Calvin's Institutes. His focus is upon, upon Christ and that which is uh, accomplished through Christ. Um, I put it on, I'm putting it on the screen so that, because it's longer, sometimes it's easier to follow along. But I want you to see how he takes a truth and we see how it comes through Christ to us. But again, the emphasis is it's found in Christ. Not apart from Christ, not to diminish Christ, but in a, in a, in a sense to actually exalt Christ even more. He writes these things. When we see salvation whole, its every single part is found in Christ. And so we must beware lest we derive the smallest drop from somewhere else. For if we seek salvation, the very name of Jesus teaches us that he possesses it. If other spirit-given gifts are sought, in his anointing they are found. Strength in his reign and purity in his conception, and tenderness expressed in his nativity, in which all respects like us he was, that he might learn to feel our pain. Redemption, when we seek it, in his passion found. Acquittal, in his condemnation lies, and freedom from the curse, in his cross given. If satisfaction for our sins we seek, will find it in his sacrifice and cleansing in his blood. If reconciliation now we need, for this he entered Hades. To overcome our sins, we need to know that in his tomb they're laid. Then newness of, of our life his resurrection brings, and immortality as we as well comes also with that gift. And if also... And if we also long to find inheritance in heaven's reign, his entry there secures it now with our protection, safety too, and blessings that abound, all flowing from his royal throne.
The sum of all, all is this. For those who seek this treasure trove of blessing of all kinds, in no one else can they be found than him. For all are given in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, that is a, a great reminder that all that we have is found in Christ. And Lord, we are humbled. We are filled, I pray, with gratitude of the grace that is shown to us. And Lord, may we show that same grace that has been shown to us. May we show the same forgiveness of that which has been shown to us. May we show the same love that has been shown to us in Christ. Lord, as we have had opportunity this morning and this evening to, to look at our identity in Christ and, and how we are to love brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, grow our love for one another. Lord, protect us from anything that might cause a division. Protect us from uh, the, the attitude of pride which felt focuses on self. Give us a heart like Christ to be humble and love others. And Lord, help us to see that each gift, whether a spiritual gift or a physical gift, is what comes from you. For every good and perfect gift comes down from you. And so help us to be using those gifts that you have blessed us as faithful stewards to encourage your body, that we might be built up and strengthened, that we might see the body of Christ flourishing and bringing honor to you in every way. Father, help us. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.